Well, good morning. It's good to be back up here. It was nice sitting out there for the last few weeks, but it's, uh, it's good to be back up here. I'm thankful to Sean and Eric for filling in for me. Uh, I know that when I invite them to come, that I don't have to be concerned that they will not bring a biblical message. And so I'm grateful to be able to have people I can, I can uh, feel confident about uh, to come and, and fill the pulpit. Uh, it was always good to get away and be with family, but uh, it's always good to be back. And so thankful to be here, and uh, let's ask the Lord to guide our time in his word today. Gracious, merciful God, thank you for hearing our songs as we lifted our praise up to you, acknowledging that you are faithful, God. Lord, you are faithful in ways we are not even aware of. You work behind the scenes in ways that make things work and we're not even aware. You cause things to happen that for our good that ultimately bring you glory. You are demonstrating your love and your faithfulness to us daily. May you give us eyes to see. Thank you for your word that we can open and grow in our understanding of who you are so that we can grow in our love for you and our relationship with you deepens as we submit our lives to your Holy Spirit and let you work the life of Christ in and through us as we live out our days. Lord, none of us know what tomorrow will bring. None of us know how long we have left on this earth, but we ask that you would help us to trust you until the day you call us home, to live out our faith authentically before others, that they might see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this day, would you cause us to understand what you have to say to us today. Give me strength to proclaim the truth you've prepared for us to hear today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, we have covered from Genesis to 1 Kings in our expedition through the Old Testament. And rather than go through each of the uh, outlines or the, uh, um, the charts from Genesis to 2 Kings, or to yeah, 1 Kings and then 2 Kings today, um, I wanted to give you a chart and uh, I realize that you may not be able to read all the, all the words there, but I want you to see how all of the Old Testament fits historically. Again, we've covered from the beginnings of all things in Genesis, where God created the world and everything in it. And then also in Genesis, we see he created uh, a family with the, through this covenant with Abram, and he established through that family a nation. 
And we have watched that nation go from, from one family to an entire group of people in bondage in Egypt, uh, and God delivered them out and, and brought them into the wilderness, and they wandered there because of disobedience. God gave them the commandments and, uh, and the feasts and, and the offerings and all of that, and then eventually brought them into the promised land, made them a nation there, and, and gave them all that they needed. We watched them as they rebelled against God, and God brought discipline. We watched as God raised up deliverers as they called out in repentance. We saw that they wanted a king like all the other nations, so God graciously gave them a king. But that king named Saul rebelled against God and did not believe and trust in God, so God rejected him and raised up a man after his own heart named David to be king in Israel. And then we saw that David, David's son Solomon became king, and as, after reigning for 40 years, uh, because of, of disobedience that continued to grow, God said, I'm going to divide the nation. And so he divided it between the north and the south. The north was Israel, the southern portion was Judah. And we, we saw that division the last time that I was up here a few weeks back in 1 Kings. Today we're going to look at 2 Kings. But I want you to, to uh, point out, I want to point out a couple of things about this chart. Uh, as you see in the top portion with, with the numbers there, those are all the historical books. Again, from Genesis all the way down to number 11, which is Nehemiah. And we're going to cover those last few in the next few weeks. But I want you to, to see how, remember when we talked about Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that was only really a month's period of time historically. And so that's kind of set above the, the other books because it was a, such a short period of time. And then um, we'll see that above 2 Samuel is 1 Chronicles. Next week we're going to look at the Chronicles. But 1 Chronicles covers the same historic period as 2 Samuel. And you remember 2 Samuel is the reign of David. And so 1 Chronicles, again, looks historically at the reign of David, but from a different perspective. And then 2 Chronicles covers 1 Kings and 2 Kings, that is histor whole historical time. 2 Chronicles covers that period of time, again, from a different perspective. Much like you have four gospel accounts of the same historic period of time, the life of Jesus, all written from a different perspective. First and Second Chronicles are the same way. So we're going to look at both First and Second Chronicles next week together and uh, cover that, that, uh, those two books. And the other thing I want to point out to you is, and you'll see that the next box underneath that, those are the, the five poetical books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You see that the first one, again, you can't read that, but Job actually historically takes place all the way back in Genesis. But then you see Psalms written by David primarily was during his reign, and then the other three, um, uh, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, written by Solomon during his reign. The bottom box, you'll notice all those books, those are the prophetic books. Twelve of the 17 prophetic books were all written during the period of time we're going to look at today, 2 Kings. Why would that be? Because we are now entering into a very difficult time spiritually for, for Israel and Judah. They have deviated over all this time, starting with the time of the judges when they did what was right in their own eyes. 
And then there were some little revivals that took place, and God brought them back a little bit. But they continued to veer off course a little bit at a time to the point where now they are, they are so far from God, and they don't even know it. And the passage we're going to look at today, you're going to see some of the things that went on in Israel that, to me, blows my mind that this was going on, and they, they most likely didn't even realize how far they had come or gone away from God. But God, because the, the kings were not, for the most part, following God, the, the spiritual leaders, right, the shepherds of the people, were not following God. God had to send special people, prophets, who did incredibly strange and different things. Right? Walking around naked for a period of time. Uh, Ezekiel wasn't allowed to grieve his wife's death. There are some really bizarre things that happened with the prophets because God had to do some bizarre things to get the attention of a people who had just deviated so far from God. But that's the thing I want you to see is that this period of time, most of the prophets were ministering during this period of time because God was shouting to the people in, in really abs uh, absurd ways to get their attention, and yet they still wouldn't listen to God. Well, we come to 2 Kings. We'll go to the next slide. And uh, you'll have your chart there at the top of your paper. And we see that uh, in the first 17 chapters of 2 Kings, we have the, um, the, the kingdom is still divided between north and south. And uh, at the end of chapter 17, we see that the northern kingdom, Israel, is taken captive by the Assyrians. And the thing that I want to point out to you is that... <clears throat> Of all the kings that were in Israel, the northern kingdom, there were 19 different kings, multiple dynasties, in that, in that there was a family that was reigning, but then they were overtaken over, uh, by another family that, became, uh, that reigned. And, and so of those 19 kings that Israel had, there was not one of them that did what was right in the eyes of God. They all deviated from God. And then Israel was deported to Assyria um, in chapter 17. And then from chapter 18 on, the focus now becomes all about the southern kingdom of Judah, um, the surviving kingdom. They were just a little bit better than Israel, but not much. And of the 20 kings that they had, all one dynasty, all from the family of David, only eight of them did what was right in the eyes of God. All the others followed after the kings of Israel and, and did all the, the evil things that they were doing. And so things were getting bad. And every once in a while, again, one king would, would, would do what was right in God's eyes and would begin to bring a little bit of reformation, but then the next one would just take them right back into it and sometimes even worse. And at the end of 2 Kings, we see that the seventh kingdom of Judah was deported to Babylonia. And then we enter into that 70-year period of exile um, that, that took place between uh, 2 Kings and then with Ezra. 
And so that's, that's kind of how Kings goes. Now in the midst of this, we see a couple bright spots for Israel. And that is Elijah and Elisha, right, the prophets, who ministered to Israel during that time. And uh, a few years ago, we looked and we, we walked through the life of Elijah. We saw him ministering to, uh, to Israel and, and calling out Ahab and Jezebel for their... their uh, Ahab was one of the worst kings because he introduced Baal worship to Israel and, and his wife, Jezebel, she was a sweetheart. And uh, she, was, she just, just brought so much darkness spiritually into, into the nation. In fact, her daughter actually usurped the throne in Judah for a short period of time. She killed all of the, all of, uh, the, the people except for one uh, uh, child uh, of a descendant of David, and she took over the throne for a short period of time, but then that ended. But So here we have um, this period of time which is really dark, and God is bringing his judgment upon them. That's 2 Kings. It just picks up where we left off in 1 Kings. Well, now I want to focus our attention on two chapters in 2 Kings, chapters 22 and 23. We want to take a look at the last good king in Judah. 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. I'm going to read chapter 22 all 20 verses, and then the first three verses of chapter 23, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop and we'll, we'll look at what's going on there, and then we'll pick up and read chapter 23, most of chapter 23. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of <coughs> Adiah of Bozkah. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. It came about in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he might, may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the, from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages of the house, to the carpenters and the builders and the masons for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made with them, for the money delivered into their hands, for they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan who read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe said to the king, Hilkiah the, the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And it came about that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, the son of Milkiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me. And the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us. 
because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, Akbor, Ashaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you've torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Neither, you shall, neither shall your eyes see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. And the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that there was written in all this book. And the people entered into the covenant. Here we have Josiah, the son of a wicked and corrupt king. Doing what is right. In the eyes of the Lord. He's the last good king in Judah before they're taken captive in Babylonia. There are three actions that Josiah takes here that I want to use as a, an outline for our time. There are some, I believe, really important applications that we can glean from what he does here. First thing we see is Josiah repairs the temple. The temple is in ruins. He recognizes that. He wants to repair it. He wants to restore some of the glory that the temple had in days gone by. He recognizes this isn't right. Well, what do we know about Josiah as king? Well, we know that he was, became king at eight years old. And there are two particular things we learn about him that are really important. And we, we know this about every king that was crowned. Every time a new king was crowned in Israel or in Judah, the same two things are told us. We're told... It, does he do what is right or what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And number two, we find out how he walks, who he's walking after. 
Go back, for example, uh, three or four chapters to chapter 18, when Hezekiah became king. Chapter 18 of 2 Kings. It says in verse 1, It came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Here it is, verse 3. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. You go to chapter uh, 20. I'm sorry, 21. Verse 1. Hezekiah's son Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. He did evil in the sight of the Lord after the people who lived there. Come down to chapter 21, verse 19. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamath, the daughter of Herez of Jotbah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. These are the two things we learn every time. What did they do in the eyes of the Lord, evil or good? And who did they follow after? And so we come to Josiah. The right in the sight of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord. In fact, you look at chapter 23, and we, we didn't get to read this yet, we'll get to it, but verse 25, I want you to read, I want you to follow this. This is what God says about Josiah. This is his epitaph. And before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. There was no king like Josiah before him or after him in all of Judah. And that may also refer to before the divided kingdom, even speaking of David, but clearly, there were, of all those eight kid kings in the, 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 the southern kingdom, there was none who was like Josiah. The best king Judah had ever had. The right in the sight of the Lord. And the second thing we see is he walked in the way of David, in all the way of David. Referring to the fact that as David was a man after God's own heart, Josiah is a man after God's own heart. Not that he walked in all the ways and that he did the same things David did. David made some huge, huge mistakes and sinned greatly. But he was a man after God's own heart. I want to take you to Second Chronicles, the same exact passage in 2 Chronicles, because we learn some new things about this that aren't told us in 2 Kings. Chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles. 
First two verses mirror what we just read. He was eight years old when he became king, reigned 31 years, did what was right in the sight of the Lord in all the ways of David. Verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, okay, he was eight years old when he started. Eight years later, he's 16 years old. Teenager. Eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he, became, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the 12th year, 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and Asherim and the carved images and the molten images. Even before, in his 18th year is when he found the book of the law. He didn't even have a copy of the scriptures yet. At 16 years old, he begins to pursue the Lord. What would prompt him to do that? We're told he walked in all the way of David. He had a role model. He didn't even know what the Word of God said. But he had a role model. Somebody, and of course David lived way before him, somebody was pointing him to the example of David. But he was looking to David. I want to say two things to young people. First of all, it's never too young to pursue God. It's never too early to start getting serious about walking with God. Sometimes we think, well, when I become an adult, then I'll get serious about this. As if one day you're going to wake up and you go from being a child to an adult. You know, I always thought that was going to be the case. I looked ahead and I thought, when I'm an adult, I'll have things figured out. I'll, I'll then, it'll be easy for me to do what is right. I won't struggle with the temptations I'm struggling with now. I'll be able to just cruise along walking with God. It doesn't work that way. Because one day follows the next. We know this when we have a birthday and we wake up and we don't feel any older than we did the day before because we're only one day older. And this is how life is, one day at a time. And so you don't just have some magic number out there that one day you wake up and say, okay, now everything's good, and now I'm an adult, and now I've got no struggles, now I'm going to get sick. You have to decide. I'm going to get serious about walking with God. No one's going to be able to decide that for you. The longer you hold off on that, the more things that will come into your life, the more struggles that will stay with you. The sooner we get serious about seeking the face of God, we're going to spare ourselves and our parents from a lot of heartache. We're going to protect ourselves from the kinds of things that will be a, a snare in our life, possibly the rest of our life. Because though God forgives sin, he allows the consequences in this life to remain. 
So those things stay with us. That baggage tends to cause us to trip up along the way. We will spare ourselves much grief and pain and difficulty if we get serious about following Christ. The sooner you do that, the better it is for you. The second thing I want to say is choose good role models. We have many, 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 many role models before us today. And so many of them are not worth following. Right now, we're watching the Olympics, and we're seeing all the stories of these young men and women, many of whom uh, have been through so much hard work and tragedy to get where they are. Um, and they're such great examples of perseverance. <laughs> but then, in a few, another week or so, that's going to be gone. And then, what's going to be before us? Well, if you're like me, you like sports, you're going to see all the, all the, the other sports being elevated again. And all of these superstars whose lives are absolute wreck morally, spiritually, most of them. They become the, the role models of young people today. Actors and actresses. Who don't know how, who, who can't stay in a marriage, who, 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 you know, don't know what right from wrong and, and are celebrating the wrong things and, 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 and all against everything that's right. I mean, all of these are the kind of role models we have in our society today. Find a good one. There are all good ones out there. Far, few and far between, but they are there. But also, beyond that, find somebody you know. We don't know these people. We don't know what their life is really like. Find someone you know. Someone you look and say, that's, when I, when I grow up, right, when I get to be an adult, that's the way I want to live my life, like him, like her. Again, it doesn't just happen. You've got to start making the right choices now, but allow their life to be an example. It's not going to be perfect. None of us are. But choose good role models. Josiah didn't even, didn't have, it, it would appear didn't have access or, or didn't have a copy or didn't know where to find it, the word of God. But he found somebody worth emulating. And he followed his example. He walked in all the way of David. Well, then we come to the next section where Josiah reads the word. Here's the high priest. And as they're cleaning out the temple, he finds a book. The book of the law. This is the probably Genesis through Deuteronomy. And he says, oh, hey, you know what? The king might like to read this. And here the scribe reads it, and it's almost like he's afraid to share it with the, with the king because he doesn't go and say, hey, look, he'll kind of found the book of the law. He says, Hilkiah found a book. You want me to read it to you? That's a kind of a glimpse into the spiritual reality of what was going on at that time. And even though you've got a good king, 
And so he reads it to him. Verse 11 tells us that he tore his clothes, which is a, a sign of repentance, grief. And he immediately commands these guys, whose names I'm not going to read another time, <laughs> to go and make uh, inquire of the Lord. Because he realizes when he reads this book, he realizes what God said. And you go back in Deuteronomy, you see what God said. If you follow me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. And Josiah realizes we have not been walking with God. And therefore, God is angry with us. And God is bringing judgment, his wrath upon us. Go and inquire of the Lord. And so they find a prophetess who says, yes, God's wrath is coming, and it's not going to be quenched. However, <clears throat> you tell the king, this is what God says, because you have humbled yourself with a tender heart, and because you have inquired of the Lord, God has heard your prayer. And you're going to live out your days in peace. You're not going to see this wrath that's going to come. What a relief. Whew. Okay, well, I'm safe. Okay, so if I just kind of bide my time and just keep my nose clean, I just kind of do my thing, then when I'm gone, then he can just pour on his wrath. That's not what Josiah does. Josiah says, man, people got to hear this. So he calls everybody together, and he reads the same thing to them that is read to him. And so we see that Josiah responded with, first of all, with conviction. He was convicted by the truth of God's word when he realized sin, he tore his clothes, excuse me, when he recognized the sin that was going on in the nation. He's a good guy. He's doing what's right in the sight of God. And yet he was brought under conviction because of the sin of the nation. I love that God told him, because of your tender and humble heart, I've heard your prayer. God hears the prayers of those who come humbly before God, who recognize they don't deserve to be in His presence, who, who recognize their faults and failures, their sin and the sins around them, and they come in confession and repentance. God loves to hear that prayer. Someone once said, those who fear God's wrath are least likely to feel it. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. This is what Josiah does. He doesn't say, 
to Shaphan. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? Go hide that book. You don't want anybody to know this? We just pretend we didn't see it. No. He says, oh my God, what have we done? Let's go ask God for God's mercy. Let's go inquire of God because his wrath is great upon us. And God says, yeah, it's coming, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it back because you are a humble man. Because you've sought me. Because you have confessed. He responded with conviction. And then secondly, he responded with commitment. He made a covenant with God in verse 3 of chapter 23 to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimony, statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul and to carry out the words of this covenant. <clears throat> he didn't say, oh, well, I'm good. <clears throat> God gave me assurance. I can live out my days in peace and I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and let everybody else go to hell. No, he said, I want everybody to know so that everyone has a chance to repent. His conviction led to a commitment. And genuine conviction will always lead to genuine commitment to repent and walk with God. In fact, you will not change your ways not, not for the long haul. Until you are brought under conviction. Sometimes when we get caught, we reform for a time because we want to prove either to ourselves or to someone else that, hey, yeah, we're okay. But it isn't until we are brought under conviction by God through His Word and by His Holy Spirit, that we realize, I have to make a change. I have been wrong. I confess it to you, Lord. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a tendency. It is sin. It's idolatry. And I bring it before you in confession. And I'm, I'm going to pursue walking in repentance of this sin. You and I won't do that until we're under conviction. And we will, we will not be brought into conviction until we are exposed to the Word of God. Josiah was a good guy, doing right things, but he needed to hear the Word of God to bring him under conviction. We've got to be in the Word for ourselves. We've got to be under the teaching and preaching of God's Word so that we're brought into conviction, which will lead to commitment. So he made a personal commitment. But he didn't stop there. He exposed the rest of the people to the same word of God so that they could be brought under conviction, so that they could then make that commitment. They made a commitment at the end of verse 3, but it didn't last. Dr. Constable says, when leaders commit themselves to follow God's word wholeheartedly, good things, good things result from their following. 
when you and I get serious about following Christ wholeheartedly, good things come to those whose lives are impacted by ours. Regardless of what position we have in life, where we, who, where we have leadership or don't have leadership, we will influence people. And those people's lives will be influenced for good when our life is living, when we are, when we are serious about following Christ. This is what happened with Josiah. Well, now let me continue reading. Because I want you to pay attention as I read from verse 4. We see Josiah reforms the nation. I want you to see what he had to do. What was going on at the temple? The place reserved for the worship of Yahweh, God of Israel. Listen to what happens. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So in the house of the Lord were the vessels used to worship Baal and Asherah and all the sun, the moon, the stars in the temple. It wasn't just happening somewhere out there in the, in the fields of Israel and Judah. It was happening in the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 5, he did away with the <clears throat> idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and all the hosts of heaven. So he got rid of the priests. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron. The Asherah, the idol itself, was in the temple of the Lord and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust and threw its dust in the graves of the common people. And he also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in what? The house of the Lord. Where the women were weaving hangings for Asherah. This is going on in the house of the Lord. This is going on in the place that had been built and dedicated to the worship of God. They had deviated one step at a time so far away and they didn't even know it. Prostitution going on inside the temple of the Lord. And he goes on to give a list of all the different things that Josiah did to reform the nation. Verse 10, he went and defiled Topheth, which is the, the place of burning which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire for Moloch. And burning their children, offering their children as a fire sacrifice to Moloch. 
You know, as I read this, I'll be honest with you, I wept in my office. And I was, I said, Lord, please don't let me break down when I'm standing before everybody. Because when I read this, I can't help but think about our country. And the churches. And the fact that we have deviated in some ways so far from the word of God. But it, it takes one, one little step at a time to the point where we don't even know how far we've gone. We don't even know. I, I sit back and I say, God, I don't even know how much this culture has affected my understanding of the word of God and my understanding of a relationship with God. I don't even have a clue because I've been in it so long, my whole life. I've been enculturated so much. I have no idea how much this culture has saturated my mindset to think that what I'm doing, everything I'm doing is what God would have me do, and I may not be, and that's scary to me. Not because I'm afraid that God's going to say, oh, man. No, but because I want to be pleasing to God. I want everything I do to honor Him. I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is walking exactly as God says, and I don't even have a clue sometimes as to what that all looks like. We're just like Israel and Judah. And so, if we don't spend time in this book, if we're not continuing to come to God every day and say, God, how do you want to renew my mind? How do you want to change the way I think so that I line up with the Word of God? We will be destined to just do what we already know to do, and we will continue to be enculturated by the culture we live in. We know that as a culture, we are passing our sons and daughters through the fire. It's called abortion. And how many millions and millions of children have been killed in our country alone? And we call it a choice. Because it's convenient for us. Because we can't take responsibility for a sinful decision we made that brought about a pregnancy that we don't want. And there are many in the church who are saying, yes, it's a choice. Women have a choice. Their body, their choice. And there are so many other things that, again, we may be saying, oh, that's, a, that's okay. That's not that bad. Because we've been enculturated, too. Josiah saw it for what it was and he had the courage at 26 years old to do what needed to be done to cleanse the temple, to reform the nation. We see in our he removed idol worship. He took what was in the temple that didn't belong there out and he broke it. He 
ground in the dust. He utterly destroyed it. He took the people who were doing that and he dealt with them appropriately. The priests who were leading people that way. And he even went beyond his, his jurisdiction. And he went into the northern kingdom. They had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And he began to reform out there as well. Here's the thing. We need to remove any and all things in our life that are a hindrance, that trip us up, or tempt us to, to fall away from God. We need to be brought under conviction that those things, whatever they are, have to be removed. We can't think that we can play around with some of this stuff and it'd be okay. Oh, I can, I can give it up whenever I want, you know. Well, then why don't you? Well, I don't want to right now. Because we're not under conviction. One of the signs of, of addiction is that we say we can give it up and we don't. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, or pornography, whatever it is, we say, oh, yeah, I got to handle this. Okay, then why don't you give it up? Well, I don't want to. Or I will for a time. We have to get serious about the things that are tripping us up that we have control over. There's enough that we don't have control over. But we've got to get serious about this. Bring it before God in confession and ask for God's help. And if we find ourselves addicted or we find ourselves trapped, find some trusted brother or sister to walk that journey with you out of it. Confess it to someone else. If you keep it in the dark, the enemy will have his way with you. I know. I tried to get out of pornography on my own. I made I made baby steps along the way, and I, you know, and I, I found myself getting a little bit better over time, but it wasn't until I came clean and said, this is what's going on with my wife and with others that I finally began to experience freedom and then got accountability and I got freedom. And I'm going to tell you, it is free. I never understood until I was free. Now I got other idols. God's helped me walk in, in the freedom and walk in repentance of people-pleasing idol. He's helped me walk in the freedom of, of self-sufficient idol. And though these idols rear their head once in a while, it gives me an opportunity to once again say, God, thank you for your deliverance. Help me, help me walk in repentance of these idols. And I've got to be diligent to keep removing anything that would draw me back into it. And then what does he do? <clears throat> Verse 21. 
the king commanded all the people saying, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, I'm sure that they celebrated the Passover, but not like this. Not since before the days of the judges, not since the time of Joshua did they celebrate the Passover like this. Even King David in all of his glory did not celebrate the Passover like this. Is it any wonder that God puts as Josiah's epitaph, there was no king before or after like this guy who sought the Lord with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his might according to all the law of Moses. Not only do we need to be ruthless in removing the things in our life that are a hindrance and a temptation to us, but we've got to be pursuing the things that help us to know who God is and what God has done and to celebrate Him, His goodness and His faithfulness. Passover was, a con was to be a constant yearly reminder of God who delivered them out of Egypt and what God did for them. And we are to celebrate our redemption and the things which remind us of the faithfulness of God. I don't know what that is in your life. But we got to get back to those things. And let, let, me, let me just say, if I can say this without, without coming across in any way um, judgmental, I'm certainly not. Um, but the, the live stream is, has been a wonderful thing during the pandemic. But let me just say, it's no substitute for the fellowship of believers. Let me say to those of you watching, and, I, and we will continue probably in some form or another because we know this, this doggone pandemic just doesn't seem to be letting up and, and, and we just keep wanting it to keep going apparently as a culture. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's something we're dealing with and this is a, a great way to continue to to stay connected when that becomes a problem. But I want to say there's no substitute for being here and being with the family of God. And when it's safe to do that, we've got to do that. And I, I don't, again, I, I, don't, I don't look at anyone differently. I just want to say that we've got to, we've got to realize we're called to, to be together, whatever that means. And it may not necessarily mean coming to to this gathering right away, but, but be with people. Fellowship with people. We've got to do that. We need each other because when we're all by ourselves, let me tell you, the enemy will have his way and I don't care how strong we think we are. I know that personally. We need accountability. We need fellowship with each other. And for those of you who have been watching who don't live in this area, never been a part of Cornerstone, First of all, I thank you that you privileged us to be part of what we're doing. 
to join us. But I want to say, find a church in your local area that you can get together with. Please, for your sake, we need this. We need to get back to the things. And I'm not saying we get back to everything we we're doing before because we probably weren't doing anything right. We got to get back to the things that God's word calls us to, and fellowshipping is certainly one of them. And now, some of you are going to say, "I can't come next week because then you'll think that, I, that I'm speaking." To, that I, I just want you to know, okay? I'm not speaking to anybody. I'm speaking to all of us. You ask God what that looks like for you. But we need, we need to be letting the Word of God renew our minds so that it transforms us. Brings us under conviction. So that we make the commitments. And wherever you are, no matter how old or young you are, today is a great day to say, God, I want to get more serious about following you. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what that's going to mean for me. But I want to trust you. And so God, help me to see the things I need to get rid of and help me to see the things I need to pursue so that I might be all that you want me to be. Let's pray. Oh, Father, by your Holy Spirit, we will walk with you. Would you bring us under conviction? Lord, I, I love how David in Psalm 19 asks that you would acquit him of hidden faults. He, he realizes there are things he doesn't even know he's doing that are wrong, and so he asks for that. Lord, we ask for that. Acquit us of hidden faults, of things we don't even know we're doing wrong. Lord, cover us on that. He also says, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. And so, Lord, we ask that you would keep us from doing the things we know are wrong. We do them anyway. God, keep us from that. But Lord, there's a middle ground, and that is that we, are, we need to be aware of some things that you want to bring to our attention, that we can confess them to you. We can acknowledge them. We can be brought under conviction about those things so that we can walk by the power of your Holy Spirit in accord with your word in repentance of those idols, those sins in our life that have got a hold on us. And God, only you can do this work. And so I ask you to bring us under conviction. Lead us to commitment. Walk in repentance. And would you do that work today in our lives? Please, God. For our good, but ultimately for your glory. We'll thank you by faith for what you're going to do because you love to answer the prayers of those who call out to you 
under conviction. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.